Hey, hey, y'all. It's me, Robin. And just real quick before we get to today's episode, if you are loving listening to the podcast, or maybe you don't know because you've just pressed play for the first time ever, but if you like to listen to things in your earbuds, you are going to be so happy to know that Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors is now released as an audiobook. You can get it in Audible or wherever else you get your audiobooks. And of course, you can still get it in print and ebook. If you go to robingobel.com slash book, it's going to give you all the options, including that you could order a signed copy from my local bookstore. Alrighty, y'all. Here's that podcast episode you're waiting for. Hello, hello. It's me, Robin, and you are back on the Parenting After Trauma podcast. Welcome back. Really excited and honored to be able to get to spend a little bit of time with you again today. We're going to talk today about the child who has a hard time hearing the word no, or getting a boundary, or not getting what they want, or whatever, however you would describe that, right? The child who just can't hear no without a total meltdown. That might apply to your kid. And that's what we're going to dive into today. We're going to look at why that's happening and give you some ideas about what to do about it. I know so much, like I know in my bones that this behavior is so frustrating and so overwhelming for us as grownups. Sometimes it feels manipulative, like this child's, you know, having this big reaction just so that they'll get what we get, just so they'll get what they want. But even if it doesn't feel manipulative, even if it just feels like they're mad, it's still really frustrating and like almost like tedious. Like, really, we have to do this again? Why does everything have to be so hard? Right? Can have this feeling of maybe some hopelessness, like this is never going to get better, and can really leave like everybody in the whole family feeling stuck or like you're having to walk on eggshells, right? To prevent the next meltdown. And that is such a hard way to be in a family. That's hard on you. That's hard on everybody else in your family. If you have a partner, if you have other kids in the home, that sense of we're walking on eggshells, hoping that this one child doesn't, you know, go bananas or have this huge watchdog brain reaction again. It's just a really, really hard way to live. Now, frustration tolerance and not being able to hear no is complex. Like there's a lot of things that can go into and be underneath why hearing no or not getting what they want can be hard for a child. But we're going to focus on one specific thing today, which is frustration tolerance. And generally speaking, when a child, when any human has a huge reaction to not getting what they want, 
what is really happening is they don't have the regulatory circuits to tolerate the feeling of frustration. So the thing about being human is that we have wants and needs and hopes and desires all the time. It's a core part of being human. It's it's really what keeps us alive is that there's always a hope. There's always a thing that we're hoping and expecting is going to happen. It can be things like, I hope I get to play with the next door neighbor. I hope I get to have chicken nuggets for dinner. I hope that mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or uncle Joe, whoever takes care of me is going to read me my favorite book at dinner time. I hope that when we go to the store that I always get to get a new Lego or a soda or a candy bar, right? Like there's all these hopes and desires and wants. And this is not unique to your child. This isn't something bad about your child. They're not spoiled. They're just human. We all have wants, right? And when we get what we want, we feel awesome. And that's true about me. And my guess is that's true about you too, right? That like, I often feel like life would just be so swell if I always just got what I wanted and people always just did what I wanted, right? That that would work out fantastically for me. Although it actually wouldn't because that's not a very relationally rich experience in the world, but that's a whole separate podcast. When I want what I want, I want it. I'm not thinking about like the longer term implications about that, what that means like for my relationships. And it really does feel like in the moment, like if I could just have what I wanted, like everything would be fine here, people, right? Now, I don't actually move through the world like that most of the time because I have a grown-up brain with a relatively appropriate amount of frustration tolerance given my brain development and my felt safety in the world, which is pretty high, right? Like I'm pretty privileged with a lot of felt safety in a lot of ways. And therefore I tend to have, and oh, I've done a, um, you know, bajillion hours worth of therapy that have also really grown my own, um, my frustration tolerance. So even though I still would really like to have what I wanted whenever I wanted it, I have a pretty developmentally appropriate capability of managing frustration and disappointment, right? When things don't go the way I want them to, I experience frustration. I experience disappointment. Sometimes, maybe we could even say most of the time. I'm not sure. We'll have to ask my husband. I manage that frustration well enough. Sometimes, I still don't, right? Like sometimes my window of tolerance is too small or sometimes there's other variables happening that I just don't have the frustration tolerance to tolerate that, that no, to tolerate not getting what I want. And that is going to then lead to some dysregulation. So frustration tolerance is a relatively complex developmental skill, but overall, let's look at this as, you know, a quote unquote owl brain skill. So one of the things about the owl brain is it requires just straight up time, age, developing, right? That a 16-year-old has more frustration tolerance than a 16-month-old, right? That it some of these skills are really just developed by 
growing older. And then understanding that kids with vulnerable nervous systems, kids who have experienced complex trauma in their histories are often developmentally delayed in many, in many ways. But yes, for frustration tolerance is, is a developmental skill that requires regulation, felt safety, and connection. So when I get a no, when I hear a no, when I get a boundary, when somebody says I can't have what I want or do what I want, one of the ways that I can be okay with that no, one of those ways that I can have some frustration tolerance around that no, around that boundary, is when I don't interpret that no or that boundary as that person just being mean to me. Right. And I know that for probably many of you listening, part of what's happening when our kids, when your kids are getting a no or they're getting a boundary or they can't have what they want, um, which is for so many reasons, right? Like kids very regularly, children aren't getting what they want. Kids with vulnerable nervous systems, kids especially with histories of complex trauma and um, histories where relationship hasn't been safe they can instantly interpret that no or that boundary as as happening because you're being mean to them or because you just don't like them, right? That kids with histories of complex trauma really have a hard time embodying the reality that there would be a no or a boundary for really any other reason, right? It always feels personal. It always feels like you would let me do this if you liked me. That really is about uh, the the way the connection is felt in the nervous system and felt safety around relationships. So when I think about fr- growing frustration tolerance, particularly around um, helping shift that mental model of of a no, you know, a no means you just don't like me, right? Like that's one mental model. Uh, one way we shift that is to be thinking about connection and felt safety. I'll talk a little bit more uh, later in the episode about more specific things about how to shift and grow frustration tolerance. Another thing that's really important in the experience of frustration tolerance is having the felt sense that this yucky feeling of frustration or the yucky feeling of disappointment, it's not a forever feeling. It will end. And this might sound totally wild to you, but so often people with vulnerable nervous systems, especially histories of relational trauma, complex trauma, when things are bad, I'm interrupting the show real quick because if you happen to be a new listener, you might find yourself being a little overwhelmed by all this information. That makes total sense. I mean, there's like 150 episodes plus all the free resources that are available over my website. It's just a lot. So many folks have asked me, where do I start? So I created a separate podcast stream called Start here. What I did is I took the 10 episodes that I want you to listen to first, and that I want you to listen to in this specific order. And I put them into a separate podcast stream so that you don't have to search for them. You can just press play and they'll play one after the other after the other. If you go to robingobel.com slash start here, you'll be able to get an invitation to subscribe. And then you'll be able to listen right in the same podcast app you're using right now. 
robingobel.com slash start here. There's this felt sense that it will always be bad. Now, some of that felt sense is about the way that they're about, it's about memory processing. It is about the implicit memories of all the times in the past they felt so bad and frustrated and disappointed that all of that is activated in this current moment of frustration and disappointed and disappointment and because of their history of of trauma and their lack of experiencing co-regulation in those previous experiences of frustration and disappointment the frustration and disappointment in this moment can have the felt sense that like this will never end. I just did an episode, uh, two episodes on memory. One specifically was on on mental models, and then the other was on the impact of trauma on um, implicit and explicit memory. So, if this is the first time you're hearing me talk about memory, you might want to go check out those episodes. They, I'm almost positive, are literally like just the previous previous ones. But that way that the memories are processed or, or not processed quite correctly can cause this embodied sense in the moment that I will feel this bad forever and ever and ever. This bad feeling I'm getting because of disappointment or because of frustration or because of not getting what I want, it will never end. I'll always feel that way. And so as you can imagine, if a experience of frustration just totally catapults you into this experience of, I will always feel bad. I will never feel good ever again for the rest of my life. That then causes some pretty intense dysregulation. So underneath frustration tolerance is this idea that I can feel bad. I can feel frustrated. I can feel disappointed and I can be okay. I can tolerate having a yucky feeling without freaking out because I know I can make it through this yucky feeling and be okay. And the yucky feeling will end. Now, one thing to be really clear around the idea of frustration tolerance is that frustration tolerance does not mean that, um, that the child will experience frustration joyfully or happily, right? Frustration is a valid, frustration and disappointment are both valid negative emotions. And they're going to be expressed that way. So I work really hard in my family, me and my husband and my kid, the three of us work really hard and we're not perfect at this by any means, but there's a few things that we hold like really core family values, repair and apologies and reconnection is one of them. And then the right to have bad feelings is another. That I don't expect my child or my spouse to always feel good about everything and to never feel disappointed. They're allowed to be frustrated. They're allowed to be disappointed and they're allowed to express being frustrated and disappointed. Now, I'll also tell y'all that disappointment actually is a really hard feeling for me. And it's a really hard feeling for me to tolerate in other people. And it, if you came and observed my family for a long time, you actually would probably see 
these subtle experiences where I try to make disappointment be a feeling that's not felt. And I do that in a wide variety of ways. And one of the things that I'm communicating when I do that is disappointment is not an acceptable feeling. I work really, really hard on shifting that narrative for myself, work really, really hard on being okay with my frustration, my disappointment, and my people's frustration and disappointment, right? My friends, my families, people in relationship with me, my students, you know, I work really hard at being okay with their disappointment. And part of what I'm doing in that is shifting, first of all, my own mental models, but also growing frustration tolerance in all of us. So let's look at that a little bit more specifically. How do we increase frustration tolerance? Well, this isn't easy because it's the same answer I give always, but also very hard, which is through co-regulation, right? And seeing our child's reactions to being told no or to having a boundary set, to seeing that as a lack of frustration tolerance, who's seeing that as dysregulation as opposed to like they're spoiled or they have some sort of character flaw or they're always just being difficult or nothing will ever satisfy them, right? Like we can start to spin all these narratives around our child's behavior that one, aren't true, but two, ultimately lead us to be more dysregulated. And then we can't provide the co-regulation that our child really needs in those moments. So that is the number one the the number one thing to do is always see it for what it is. See it as frustration tolerance. It is so easy for us as parents to get burned out and intolerant and just like lose our ability to provide co-regulation when we have kids who are like exploding over everything, right? Like we end up responding in kind, like we respond with our own frustration. And again, we feel like they're too spoiled or we're too soft or, you know, we feel these things that actually prompt us to withdraw co-regulation instead of offering more, right? But frustration tolerance is developed through co-regulation and attunement. And y'all, that isn't the same as giving in, which I will talk about before this episode ends, I promise that I'm talking about giving in and ending their frustration, talking about offering co-regulation and attunement. And again, we all we do that first by always just seeing our child's behavior for what it is, a lack of skill and a lack of regulation. And then us now having patience and compassion while still having a really strong boundary. So that might sound like I know you're really mad or sad or disappointed or just reflecting back and acknowledging like, I know you feel this way and that feeling is okay here. And it it might sound like nothing at all, right? Like sometimes what our kids need when they're dysregulated is for us to just be quiet. That's true more often than not in my own house. Like I've come to realize that lots of reflective statements, like I can tell that you're so mad or it makes so much sense that you're disappointed or frustrated or whatever. By the time my child's really expressing that level of frustration or disappointment, my verbal reflection back isn't helpful. So usually by then, I really actually just say nothing and focus on staying regulated myself, you know, keeping perspective on what's happening because it's so easy for me to jump into the like, he's just being a jerk, like whole, right? And then we're all just swimming 
and dysregulation together. So I really just focus on my own regulation and my, and, and keeping my own x-ray vision goggles on, like really, truly seeing the behavior for what it is, the distress in the nervous system. Offering co-regulation might sound like offering a drink or a snack or some sort of activity of distraction or a hug and connection, right? After, typically after you've validated the frustration, you don't want to jump too fast to offering solutions because that really gives the felt sense that my feelings aren't tolerated here. All you're trying to do is change them. There's a big difference between trying to stop or change our child's behavior and co- offering co-regulation. There also, I do think, comes a point that we don't talk about too much. Maybe I need to do a whole separate episode on this. Uh, sometimes it really, there comes a point where it, it it's time to kind of move on, right? Like some of you listening might have a child that you feel like, you know, we did that episode previously on kind of like that bottomless pit of needs. And that can sort of also feel like that co-regulation pit, right? That no matter how much co-regulation I do, it's like never enough. My child never like feels more regulated by it. And again, I think that's a whole nother episode, but I'll just say here, I, I do think there can come a time and a place for um, there to be a moment where we we just move on. And um, what that can look like can be pretty nuanced and pretty complicated. I don't know. Now that I'm saying this all out loud, I'm not even sure that that's a really great podcast episode because that's a topic that's really better handled like dyadically. You know, like we can go back and forth and talk about it and bounce things off and really see what's going on. So I'm not really sure that that actually is a great podcast episode. I don't know. I promise that I'll think about it. <laughs> so sometimes though, you know, helping to grow frustration tolerance does actually look like lowering the bar, right? That the frustration your child's experiencing is just too much. It it far exceeds their capacity to tolerate that frustration and what they need and what they need not only to be better in that moment, but really to grow, like to do the bicep curl of growing the frustration tolerance is lowering the bar. The reality is, is if we have kids that are like, just constantly blown out of their window of tolerance by frustration, we aren't going to grow their frustration muscle. It's like if I was training for a marathon and had and, and was injured, like like legitimately injured, I would need to adjust my training plan. I couldn't just keep training on that injury because I would no longer be growing my muscle, right? I have to lower expectations. Giving in is not changing expectations. Those are not the same thing. We give in because we can't tolerate our kids' dysregulation anymore. And we're like, fine, whatever. I can't tolerate this anymore. Just, and we just give in. Lowering the bar is making a regulated decision to decrease your expectations because you realize your child can't be successful with the expectations you currently have. Okay, so they're two very different experiences. You may end up making the same choice about how to change something for your child's life. Like they might look the same, but they're being done with wildly different energies. And that really, really, really matters. So again, giving in 
is really more about, I can't tolerate this sensation myself anymore. And so from this dysregulated place, I'm going to change the expectation because I can't tolerate my kids' dysregulation anymore. Whereas lowering the bar is making a regulated decision to change your expectations, right? So they're very, very, very different. I also think we can increase frustration tolerance by setting our kids up a little bit better. So we certainly don't always know that something is coming that's going to cause frustration in our kids. Like sometimes it's shocking and we have no idea. We can't do anything to prepare for it. But sometimes we do know that something is going to be happening that's going to be upsetting or stressful to our kids. And we know we're going to have to set a boundary or we know we're going to have to do something that they're not going to like. And we can increase their frustration tolerance in the long run, even if we set our kids up a little bit better to be able to be successful at tolerating that frustration when you can anticipate it, when you know it's going to happen. So be thinking about just general, like, how do I help support my kids window of tolerance before I have to say no or before I have to set this boundary so that they kind of are at like their peak performance, like they they have the most resources available to them to be able to tolerate that frustration. So I'm talking about basic things like making sure they're not hungry, making sure they're well-rested, they're well-hydrated. Sometimes even preparing, um, you know, preparing things like saying, what I'm about to say is going to feel very frustrating and I get it. You're allowed to feel frustrated and you're allowed to express how mad you are. Like setting that up ahead of time can really help our kids. The higher their window of tolerance, the wider their window of tolerance, the more they're going to be able to tolerate that frustration. And not only is that going to help in this exact moment, but it's actually a long-term strategy, right? The more, the, the wider their window of tolerance is when they experience a frustration and then they can navigate that frustration a little bit better because their window of tolerance was nice and wide, the more their their window of frustration tolerance is going to grow. Okay. So we can think about how this is helpful in the short term as well as in the long term. But really, y'all, like the most important thing we want to think about that is going to help our kids is our own response, our own regulation. Again, like if you live with a child who's just chronically unhappy, what the really most important thing to do is is up your self-compassion, your basic physiological self-care, like making sure you're well hydrated, have decent nutrition or getting good sleep, you know, have safe and gentle movement worked into your routine in some ways. And I know that these things can be feel impossible and maybe they are impossible, but if they aren't impossible, there these things are actually as important to focus on as any sort of like direct parenting strategy you apply to your child and in many ways are actually more important so self compassion in your own basic physiological care i also have worked with parents who have said it can be really helpful to like visualize seeing their child's owl brain just like poof fly away <laughs> and their watchdog brain takes over like their owl gets scared and and flies away and then now they've got this big barking growling watchdog that's just taken over and if you can kind of separate this like watchdog from your child what you're also help yourself do is separate their behaviors from who they are as a person and you'll be able to remember more, like, where is this behavior coming from? Which then, of course, will help you remember, well, then what it needs is more regulation, connection, and felt safety. 
similar to that, even just reframing the behavior away from like what I named this episode, right? To like, my child can't tolerate no, or my child can't hear no, even just reframing that and and taking a shift away from from labeling it that way in your own mind to labeling it, my child has poor frustration tolerance. Okay. One final thing that I'm just going to mention, but not dive into terribly far because it's complicated and nuanced and really, again, is one of those things that's best handled and discussed in in an actual conversation as opposed to just this one-sided podcast, is the idea that kids with complex trauma histories oftentimes have poor or delayed or not very solid sense of self. And they feel best, they feel most real, they feel most regulated, they feel most okay when they're pretty enmeshed with somebody else and especially a caregiver. That the separation of kids from their caregivers into two separate beings who can still come together to create like a we space that's a developmental experience that kids with relational complex trauma histories um, often haven't really accomplished yet. It can it can feel delayed. And in particular, kids who really feel best when they're most enmeshed when they're caregivers are kids that we could say look like they have pretty intense anxious attachment. Now, I did do that attachment series last year. And I replayed it earlier this year. So you can scroll back in my podcast and look for the episode on anxious attachment. You can also go to robingobel.com slash anxious attachment to read um, the summary and the transcript of that episode. And then you can also get the ebook on attachment at robingobel.com slash ebook. All right. So these really enmeshed kids who feel best when it's like you and me are the same these kids have a really hard time when a boundary is set because it's a separation. It's a moment where you and me aren't the same, right? And for these kids, the safest is when we're the same. Implicit in a boundary, right, is what you want and what I want are different. And for kids with extreme anxious attachment, especially extreme anxious attachment that's really moving into more like disorganized attachment, this separation of you and me are different and we don't want the same thing in this one small little moment. It's just too much. It's wildly disorganizing and dysregulating and is going to come out in behavior that looks like I can't tolerate no or I always need everything to go my way. I offer this explanation for those of you who feel like your child's lack of frustration tolerance is just really extreme. Like maybe you got to the end of the episode and you're like, wait a minute, that I didn't find this helpful at all. Well, this could be why that your child's lack of frustration tolerance is so extreme. It could be explained because of this, um, this extreme need to always be the same, to always be enmeshed and to feel to feel very dangerous when they're different or separate from you. And so, of course, the question then becomes, well, what do I do about that? And unfortunately, the answer to that is really nuanced. 
um, it, it goes beyond what I can address in, in this podcast episode. And, and honestly, maybe any podcast episode, though, I'll put it on my list of things to think about uh, if I can address it in a podcast episode. Um, but what you can do in this moment is, again, go check out that attachment series. Uh, you can you can just get the whole series by getting the ebook at robingobel.com slash ebook, or just scroll back a touch in your podcast player on my website, and you'll see that there is the six-part attachment series. Um, it starts with an episode called, um, I don't remember what it's called. <laughs> I will make sure I put in the show notes where that attachment series starts and then you could just go through the six the six episodes and then or again you can just download the ebook. The other option for you is to consider joining the club when the club opens up again next because in the club is where we can really dive in and discuss all of these nuanced things much more in depth. And I get to know you in the club. And that means that me and my coaches and and all the other club members even are giving you thoughts and ideas that are more specific to your kid and your family and your situation begin because we've got we've had the opportunity to get to know you and we can really look at these different nuances and you know, talk about things in a way that's very applicable to your specific family and your situation. All right, y'all. I hope this episode was helpful, just a helpful kind of beginner's look at what frustration tolerance really is and how you can um, start to be deliberate about growing frustration tolerance in your child. Again, if I can support you diving deeper into exploring this topic and really getting more hands-on and more practical in your specific family, that's what the club is for. So when the club opens again next, come join us there, robingobel.com slash the club. I'd also love for you to hop over to my social media. I um, always have at least two posts a week about whatever the episode of the week is. And so we can chat about the episode on those social media posts. I'm on Facebook and Instagram. And you may have noticed I have a new social media helper who is making amazing social media graphics that I think are going to benefit you so much more. Like you can save those graphics, save those images, refer back to them. They're going to be so much better in giving you like some real good practical things to do next to save those posts, to share them, to refer back to. You can just save them right in your phone or or whatever. So I'm hoping that that's going to be helpful to you as well. All right. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I will see you back here on this Parenting After Trauma podcast again next week. Are you ending this episode with maybe a big sigh of relief? Like, yes, finally, someone gets me and my kids. But also maybe a sense of like, okay, but now what? All right, y'all, I've got lots of possible now what's. If you want to connect with me directly, like pick my brain, have access to me almost every day, not to mention hundreds of other parents from around the world who totally get what it's like to be you, then you're going to want to join us in the club. We have monthly live events, including groups for siblings of dysregulated kids, a huge video library with something like 80 or 90 videos plus transcripts and certificates of completion. 
Plus, of course, a very active forum that I'm participating in every single day. We open for new members periodically. So go check robingobel.com slash the club. If we aren't open now, you can put yourself on the waiting list and I'll let you know the moment we open for new members. That's robingobel.com slash the club. Now, if you're a professional and you want to strengthen your capacity to work with the families of kids with big baffling behaviors and vulnerable nervous systems, plus use all of my materials, including a 12-module course that follows raising kids with big baffling behaviors, plus be included in an online searchable directory so families all over the world could find you then you're looking for Being With, which is my year-long immersive training program that runs January through December. So you'll want to go to robingobel.com slash being with, read all about it. And if you're interested, put yourself on that waiting list too. Now, if you just maybe need a little extra connection and co-regulation, but don't feel like you need to join the club, then you can just keep listening to my podcast. Or you could go subscribe to my Start Here podcast, and that'll give you 10 episodes in order that will take you through cultivating a great foundation of parenting with regulation, connection, and felt safety. That's at robingobel.com slash start here. You have to go there. You can't just find it in your podcast app. Or you could get yourself a copy of Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors, paper book, audio book, ebook. You can get that anywhere books are sold. Or you could just head to my website download one of my very many free resources. I keep them all really easy to access at robingobel.com slash free resources. Webinars, masterclasses, ebooks, infographics, all sorts of stuff. Go check it out. See what of those things could be supportive of you or maybe to the other adults in your life who are helping support you and your child. There are just so many ways that you and I could be more connected and you can get the amount of co-regulation and support that you need. If it feels like a lot to remember, all you have to do is go to robingobel.com and take your time clicking around, seeing what I got there. I am so, so glad you and I are connected now and I can't wait to be with you again soon in our next episode of The Baffling Behavior Show. Bye-bye, y'all.